Yep, so I'm Timothy, and uh, welcome to the Central Auckland Church of Christ. You know, this week was an awesome week. We just did the internship. Uh, it was crazy, you know. We did hard things. Well, it was titled Hard Things, or Do Hard Things. You know, we went into Auckland City. We went on to AUT campus, Auckland campus. Like Robin said, oh, uh, sorry, not Robin, her sister said, oh, week. And, uh, yeah, we just shared our faiths. And it was awesome. It was uh it was really fun. You know, there's sometimes I was challenged to do the easy thing, but, you know, I wanted to do the easy thing and ended up doing the hard thing, which was good. Um, it was not easy, but I guess it wouldn't be called doing a hard thing, would it? You know? Uh, yeah, so just before we start, you know, I just want to start with these questions. You know, who, who has ever judged a book by its cover before? You know, who's had fear? Fear to share their faith and then given into that fear. Now today I'll be preaching from Acts 9 and Caleb will be preaching from Acts 9 as well. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah so before I start, uh, we'll just quickly pray. So let's bow our heads and pray. <coughs> Thank you, Lord, for this lovely day. Lord, I pray that you can just please be with me, Lord, that I can speak what the Bible is saying, not what I want to say. Um, Lord, I please pray it can be with a service that you know someone can learn something new. Lord, I just want to say I'm so grateful that Mitch can get baptized. Uh, it's amazing this internship finished with a baptism too. Uh, Lord, I pray for next year's internship. Maybe can finish um, with a couple more baptisms. Uh, Lord, I please pray be with the service. I'm praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, so we'll be reading from Acts 9, verse 1 to 18. So, please turn there. Come on, Timmy! Uh, just give me an uh, amen when you're there. Amen. There we go. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, <clears throat> he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. <clears throat> in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask him for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here and with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to, um, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. 
you know, Saul was considered a, a crazy guy. You know, he was a Jew that suppressed and fought Christianity throughout Jerusalem. Uh, Saul was a devout Hellenistic Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Saul was a member of the Pharisees and was taught by none other than Gamaliel, who was one of the highest uh, Pharisees that there was, you know, and we've already met him. Saul did not agree with his teacher, though, Gamaliel, on how the Christians should be dealt with. Rather, he sought the arrest, trial, conviction, and punishment of death of those in Jerusalem. His career as a persecutor of Christians seemed to have begun with Stephen, but it quickly spread to all the Christians in Jerusalem. You know, Saul was not content to punish some and to drive the rest out of um, Jerusalem. He wanted to rid the earth of Christianity and its followers. Thus, his opposition to Christ and his church took on a missionary spirit. Saul went to other cities where he sought to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. You know, Damascus was one of those cities 150 miles um, northeast of Jerusalem. You know, word was out that Saul would be arriving soon. Now, so my uh, one and only point, which will be split into two, so I guess two points, uh, you know, uh, as, um, yeah, God, God will use, all right? He will use. You know? you know, Saul was breathing out murderous threats, all right, against the disciples. And if you were a disciple and he knew about you, you were a goner, all right? That's just, that's just, I'm putting it straight. This was a man hunting down Jesus' disciples like it was a sport, uh, like it was his duty. And what does God do? He blinds him. You know. <laughs> How about that? You know. <clears throat> and yeah, he gives him a new sense of duty. We see here that his intentions are to go to Damascus with this letter or with this authority from the high priest. And um, on the way, pretty much what happens is he gets blinded and that authority goes down the drain. You know. But he wanted to go to Damascus with this authority or this power. And it says this letter was his authority. And here it says, And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. You know, this word authority is often used with a term like power. You know, if someone has authority, they're a powerful person. But, um, you know, that's, that's not actually how it's used in this context. This word authority comes from the word, uh, Greek word exousia, which, um, which is actually like, the right to exercise your power against someone or something. Okay, so I, I found that quite interesting. So Paul wanted to go to Damascus with this new power or with this new authority to exercise it against all the Christians. You know, so the point I'm trying to make is that Saul at this moment in time was very powerful. It was not a man to mess with, but then God blinded him. I think that would have really humbled Saul um, and softened his heart. Because if, if you were blind for three days, didn't eat, didn't drink, uh, there's a lot of time for self-reflection. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, he was powerless, he was obsolete. But I think that, that did humble him to the point where he could see what was going on around him. Not, not, not literally, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the man, he figured out the man who was trying to persecute for so long, who's dead, just blinded him. You know, that must have been really, that would have been worrying, you know. <laughs> and he kind of, he got this idea that, you know, maybe Jesus was the son of God. You know, 
don't get me wrong, Saul already had a love for God. You know, it says in Acts 22, he was zealous for God before he was a disciple. But God softened his heart for him to become a disciple and realize that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, I think it's important to note that um, Saul was a Christian killer. So in people's eyes, he would have been seen as a as the worst of the worst. You know, he would have been seen as someone who you could not trust no matter what. All right. This was something that, you know, this is a code red. You know, don't trust this guy. And, um, but he wanted, and he thought, well, he thought what he was doing was right because he loved God. You know, he wanted to prove that what he was doing was his love for God. So he loved God. He just didn't love him in the right way. And um, yeah, but for us, we see that as sin, but God sees sin as sin. No matter what the sin is, it's still sin. So he murdered Christians, but what other sin do we commit? You know, that's still sin in God's eyes. So when we see someone on the street and we see him or, or her, you know, smoking or doing something bad, we think, oh no, that person would not be right to come to church or that person wouldn't, you know, become a disciple because of that, that, that. But that's still sin in God's eyes, you know. And if you judge someone for the sin that they're committing, you're just building a case against yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know, God can use anybody in the kingdom and has proven that with Saul. And yeah, he became Paul. You know, even a man that breathed, I mean, he breathed murderous threats against God's holy people. And he ended up becoming the front runner for Christianity. All right. You know, God took a man with all the power he needed to murder these disciples at his will and made him into nothing. He didn't eat, he didn't drink, you know, made him into Paul. He, he eventually exhausted whole cities, all right, and then moved on to the next city and then exhausted that city and moved on to the next. Like nothing could stop him, right, because he had this new authority, this heavenly authority. And I think that personally for the past week, you know, I've been humbled in this area where I thought, oh, he or she would not be good for, or he or she would be good to become a disciple. And, um, you know, first things first, I got shut down hard. All right. You know, just get away from me. You know, this one guy was like, hey, you know, would you like to talk about God? And he said, go away from me. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, but, um, you know, that's what we expect. And I think I was humbled very quickly and soon realized, okay, no, you should talk to everybody uh, no matter what. And I think through the internship, we found that same authority that Saul, um, that Saul got when he was baptized, the authority to do hard things, to keep on doing hard things. You know, it says that Jesus will use him as an instrument. You know, why are we any different? We're filled with the Holy Spirit. So why can't we be used as instruments? You know, my second half of the point is that God will use anybody to build the kingdom. You know, Ananias was fearful, all right? He had to go to this man who had the power to kill him. Yeah, he had the power to kill him. And, you know, and then Jesus in a vision says to him, hey, okay, I want you to go, go on straight street, touch him, and he will become a disciple. I would freak out, man. I wouldn't know what to think. But what does he do? He actually goes and he, he does it. You know, Jesus would have found someone else to do it. But Ananias was Jesus' first choice. And it's usually the most fearing, timid, or weak people to find faith in Jesus and to knuckle down and do, do what he asks of us. You know, Ananias, that, Ananias knew that Jesus' love and power was endless and was open to everyone, including the man who was trying to end it all. So he ends up going to the house on Straight Street, touching, touching Saul, and his scales falls from his eyes. And he calls him brother. 
okay? That's, um, that's, very, that's very scary. The man that was trying to kill me, I would not call him brother, but Ananias calls him brother Saul. You know, that's, that's intense. You know, but, <laughs> you know, uh, I, find it, I find it interesting how Saul tried to argue it, though. You know, like, what's that going to do? That kind of reminds me of those people that hold up signs like honk to, honk to get rid of Kim Jong-un. You know, that doesn't make sense. What is that going to do? You know, but, you know, I, I find myself arguing with Jesus as well. You know, I always hear that little, that little voice in my, my mind. I think it's the Holy Spirit that says, go, go and talk to that person. Or maybe you should speak to that brother or sister about that thing that they did. But, you know, that's when, that's when we need to have faith in Jesus and talk to that person. You know. I think that Ananias was a man that did hard things, irrespective of what the outcome would be. You know, so my point is that God will use anyone and everything. It isn't for us to judge who we share our faith with, or who, who we help, or who we share our friendship with. Now, now I'm not saying that's a reason to hang out with the wrong type of crowd, because bad company does ruin good character. But it's important to do these things, because I know about, and I don't know about you, but unlike Ananias, I haven't had Jesus talk to me in a vision recently, tell me to go touch a blind guy and he'll see again. But I do have the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit dwelling in me and urging me to do these things, though. You know, the way I like to think of it is a, a story my disciple once told me. Uh, him and his wife were, um, were, now this is in South Africa, bearing in mind, so not a happy place. And um, they're, in the, they're in the shopping mall all right, or a grocery store. Pretty much what happened is they said, okay, we're going to share our faith with the next couple that walks, walks into the store. And um, who do you think walks in? Saul. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but the, this couple, you know, not wearing shoes, fully tatted out, dreadlocks. You know, the husband goes, man, I don't, I don't think we should talk with him. And then the wife goes, no, I'll talk with him. And then she goes and talks with him. And the husband sees this nice, well-dressed couple, like, man, these are people that are good. And he goes and talks with them, and he gets shut down hard. You know, no, we're not interested. And um, the couple that, they, that he thought wouldn't, wouldn't be interested in living their lives for Christ actually ended up coming to Bible talk and studying the Bible you know and that's that's amazing that's that's something we can live by you know it's not to judge who we share our faith with you know that's not up to us that's up to God you know a few practicals that allow God to use us as instruments and for God for people uh, to bring people closer to himself Uh, my first practical is open your mouth the scripture says that Jesus uh, will use Saul as an instrument. Now, I quite, I quite like playing instruments. Uh, I'm quite fond of the guitar and the ukulele. And um, once you start playing it for a while, you actually start to make amazing sounds. Not me, myself, but um, you know, a lot of people can make, can make really nice sounds. And um, it's, almost like, it's almost infectious. It's almost like you, feel, you don't feel the same when you're not hearing it. And... Um, you know, it's quite breathtaking. So knowing that God will use us as instruments, it's very encouraging because it means all you need to do is open your mouth and he'll pluck the strings. You know, he'll blow the horn. He'll do the rest. You just need to open the door and he'll make them step. Well, he won't make them, but he wants them to step through. You know, and ultimately, we also need to be in tune when we're not in uh, with God's word. And when we're not in tune with God's word, you know, we can't be used in the way that he intended for us to be used. You know, secondly is you need to have a conviction of sharing your faith. You know, a conviction needs to be strong and you need to um, have a really strong reason behind it. You know, my father, okay, 
He doesn't watch horror films because of this reason. You know, some of the uni students will know. But, um, you know, I always ask him, you know, Dad, come watch a horror movie with me. And he goes, son, where do, where do good ideas come from? And I say, oh, God, God, I think they come from God. And he goes, oh, yeah, all right. So um, where do you think evil things come from? And I go, well, Satan. And he's like, well, you know, uh, a horror movie is good or evil. You know, they have demons in them, they have whatever in them. And it's like, oh, well, it must be evil then. And then, uh, so, yeah, it comes from Satan. And then he says, that's the reason I don't watch horror films. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, might be, that might be a funny example. But, you know, our convictions are drawn from God, you know. And we need to have a strong conviction that God and can will use any... God can and will use anyone that he deems fit for the purpose of building up the kingdom. So you need to be convicted to share your faith with whoever you see, you know. You know lastly is you need, you need to be in contact with God. Now I'm not talking about talking to Jesus how Ananias did, you know, because that's, I don't know if you have, that'd be cool if you have, but I haven't. You know, but it did say um, he was praying and reading, but praying and reading the Bible is some, some way that we stay in contact with God. Now Saul was scared and possibly fearing for his eyesight to never return. And it says that he was praying to God. <clears throat> you know, how did Ananias know that he had to go to Saul? How did he know to go to specifically go to Straight Street? You know, Jesus was talking to him. So praying and indulging in the scripture is essential for us to, to be in contact with God and to stay in line with his word. For him to use us to bring people closer to him. You know, lastly, is, oh, yeah, sorry. And another way that we stay in contact with God is through each other. You know, we can see what God is intending for us through each other and through one another. You know, how we see each other grow, how we see each other change, that's how we see God's works. Yeah, so, you know, with all these things, that's how, we, that's how God uses people to bring people closer to Him and how He uses disciples, fearing disciples, timid disciples who fear sharing their faith. He uses them to build up the kingdom. You know, so I urge you, if you're, if you're a fearful person to share your faith, you know, share your faith because God will use you and he will bless you. All right? And when we do that, we will save Auckland, save New Zealand, save the spa region. Amen. Hey guys, um, I also want to say hey to the Blyleys who are in Rotorua right now, um, live streaming. Um, but yeah, I'll be continuing on from where Tim left off in Acts 9, verse 20 to 31. So I guess uh, go over there um, and I'll read from verse 20. Saul, <laughs> Saul spent several days with the, with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard from him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 23, After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But... Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket, and, and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. 
When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So we base this week off a book called Do Hard Things. And, and that's exactly what it sounds like, you know? Doing hard things that we would not be normally that we would not normally be doing. We had lessons, we had fellowship, we, had, we evangelized with the sole intent to do hard things for the glory of God. After Saul, after Saul was met with God, we can see him being driven out of the city. And because of the, Jews' plan to, because of the Jews' plan to kill him, because in verse 27, he preached fearlessly. Saul transformed from someone who witnessed the death of Stephen, and even a approved of it to a man who preached and spoke boldly to the crowds in Jerusalem. But because of his transformation, because he spoke boldly, even with his life on the line, because he was doing hard things, in verse 31 it says, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This brings me to my first point. Hard work bears good fruit. When was the last time you worked hard on anything? Like, really hard. Maybe it was a song on the piano you spent hours on. Or maybe it was a, making a chair from scratch out of wood. Or maybe it was lifting weights at the gym. You know, although it was hard, it was worth learning that beautiful song. It was worth being able to create something from scratch out of your bare hands. It was worth getting those gains and getting stronger. Wasn't it? <laughs> your hard work turned into results you were pleased about. In this scripture, through tough times and persecution, Saul persevered through it and worked hard by preaching the word of God and the message of Jesus. His work resulted in the church being encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. It says in the first few verses, Saul went to go and preach after he stayed with the disciples. It says that the Jews were baffled by Saul, suddenly preaching that Christ is the Messiah. Imagine how it would feel like to be a Christian back in those days, hiding from Saul's persecution. And then the next day, he's suddenly preaching about Christ? Wouldn't you be confused? The Jews were skeptical, and rightfully so. Even as the Jews continued to be in doubt, Saul continued to preach boldly and without fear. This allowed Saul to be more and more known. After the Jews realized his power, they conspired to kill Saul. Even so, Saul continued to preach. He had to be lowered through a hole in the wall by a basket to avoid being killed. After all this, he tried to join the disciples, but they were, even they were afraid. Even so, Saul continued to preach. After Barnabas took him in, he spoke boldly to the Hellenistic Jews, and also they tried to kill Saul. 
Even so, Saul continued to, even so, Saul continued to preach. You know, give Saul a break. First, he was subject to rejection by the Jews, which led to two cases of murder threats. And then he was rejected by the apostles. Even after going through all these things, even after he had to overcome all these things, Saul put in that hard work. And it was apparent. At the end of verse 31, the the church was described to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit and lived in the fear of the Lord. Increasing in numbers. Soul did the hard work and it bore good fruit. (laughs) This isn't a new concept either. Look at going to the gym, for example. If you put in the work, you're bound to feel stronger and and or physically look fitter. But this doesn't just happen in one day, right? I mean, I wish, but you don't just go to the gym one day and walk out with six-pack abs. (laughs) It's the minute changes that we don't see, but that actually occur is something that we need to look at. If we looked at ourselves every day in the mirror after going to the gym, we we don't really see that much of a difference. It's not until we see the before photo and compare it to the after photo that we actually get to see how much we've progressed. Just like you can't learn a song on the piano in five minutes. It takes perseverance. It takes trials. Hard work is a gradual process. Hard work over time makes us into the workers that God wants us to be. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. But our ultimate goal is to be like Jesus. We can't just do hard things for today and expect to be good the rest of our lives. We need to constantly do the hard work for God so that we can expect results in not only our spiritual relationship with Him, but also the growth of the church. So what's one way we can apply this to our lives? Expect hard work before expecting the results. One example of many could be quiet times. We can't expect to be knowledgeable about the Bible or even have a solid foundation if we don't wake up early and read our Bible. If you really are a disciple of Jesus, in Luke 9 verse 23 it says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take their cross daily. This means to deny ourselves of our wants and focus on why we need to read our Bibles. One example of this in my life recently is going out on campus and talking to university students about my faith. I found it really difficult to go and talk to strangers because normally I'm a reserved person. You know, talking to even friends, let alone strangers, tires me out mentally. But I know if I don't deny myself, then how can I expect the church to grow? From personal experience, no one goes to church because they felt like it. They go because they either grew up in church or they were invited. I can't expect the teen's ministry or even the church to grow if I don't put in that work. This brings me to my second point. God blesses an aligned heart. Hard work only goes so far without God. God is the one that orchestrates everything. In order for God to do work in our lives is if our heart is aligned with his plans. Let's look at the gym analogy again. Imagine you if you were gymming and you thought that eating chocolate cake 
was a way to increase muscle mass and help the process. But little did you know, little did you know, it was full of sugar and fat and extra calories that don't necessarily help when trying to lose weight or becoming more fit. Nothing came, nothing came from eating that chocolate cake and you gained a few kilograms. But then you realized, you need to start eating your greens. And within a few weeks, you see the difference it makes. This was the same with Paul, uh, with Saul. Even, Saul even said it himself in Acts 22 verse 3, like what Tim said. He was just as zealous for God as any of the other disciples were. Even before Saul's conversion, I truly believe Saul inherently loved God. His doctrine was to persecute those who believed in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. His intention was good. But it was not aligned with God's plan. And because of this, nowhere in the Bible does it say, when Saul persecuted the Christians, the faith of the church was strengthened and they grew tremendously. Right? But when Saul heard about Jesus and was converted, he preached and basically did the opposite of what he was doing before. And what does the Bible say happened? The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Because Saul aligned himself with God's will, he was able to be used by God to do hard things. And the church was blessed in ways he would never imagine. What about us? How can we align ourselves with God's will so that he blesses us? For myself, I find it hard to be resolved with what God wants to do with me. I'm pretty stubborn, actually, when it comes to this stuff. And I can make excuses like, is this what God really wants for me? Do I really want this? But I think it's important to remember that God blesses those who are aligned with His own will. And that by following His plan, the results will become apparent and His blessings evident. What's a practical that'll help us to be more like Saul and find a way to align, us, align ourselves with God? Build knowledge and build relationships. This means, that, this means reading the Bible every day and learning about God and His plan. Where else better can we see God's plan in action? After reading the Bible thoroughly, we should be able to see whether or not if we are with God's will. Alignment is putting... God's preference over our own. Also, we must build relationships with each other so that we can help keep each other accountable and aligned. Even in Saul's conversion, he had Ananias to help and guide him. So by building relationships with people in the church, we can help and guide one another. To conclude, Saul was a man who did hard things. And because of that, it bore good fruit and the church flourished. But it was because of his heart and his alignment with God's will that God blessed not only him, but the church as well. We need to remember that we must expect the hard work before expecting the results. And that by building our knowledge and building relationships with the people in the church, we can stay aligned with God and his plan for us. Thank you.